Well, Genesis 27 is one of the most infamous chapters in the Bible. Most people, whether they're students of the Bible or not, have heard the story contained therein. And it's a perfect example of how doing the wrong thing for the right reasons is still the wrong thing. Even if the outcome is good, if it's the wrong thing to do, it's the wrong thing. And we all know in our lives that there are things we're tempted to do that are the wrong thing even if the reasoning seems good. For example, my next phone bill came this week. And they were supposed to give me a credit of $50 per phone when we got our new phones. Well, they gave me that, but they also gave me an extra $50 per phone, which I was really excited about. But I shouldn't have. Now, after telling you all about it, I'm going to have to call Nextel <laughs> and make it right. I could use the extra 100 bucks. don't get me wrong. But it'd be the wrong behavior. Even if using that extra 100 bucks, I could spend on my kids, you know, clothing that they need. Oh, yeah, because they need shoes, $100 shoes. You know, I could spend it on them. All the right reasoning, it's still the wrong thing. And Genesis 27 is witness to this. As Rebekah is going to lead Jacob to steal from Isaac what was rightfully his by divine appointment in the first place, though it's right that Jacob should end up with a birthright, with a blessing, because that's what God decreed. How they go about it is completely wrong. Now, three things you may want to jot down as we start. Three foundational truths that Genesis 27 is witness to. Number one, God's word is real. God's word is real. The Bible is a tell it like it is history. Real people living out real lives before a real God who really loves them. And that's one of the things I love so much about Scripture. When, when people try to say that it's hard to understand, or, or when people try to cast doubt on Scripture, I love that when you start to read it, you see messed up people just like us. There's no pretense. There's no piety. You read through and you go, wow, he really blew it. I didn't blow it that bad. I'm at least not as bad as Jacob. I didn't go and deceive my dad into getting an inheritance that didn't belong to me. It's real. And the people contained throughout are real. They had problems, challenges, doubts, struggles, just like us. They had pain in life. They had hurts. They trusted God magnificently. And they failed God tremendously. And in the real pages of Scripture, we can go, that's us. That's, as Rich Mullins said, that's the world as best as I remember it. All these things kind of messy and going wrong, but throughout the whole thing, God's working a plan. God's word is real. I think back to Genesis chapter 4, where God has a conversation with a young man named Cain. Before Cain acts on his bitterness toward his brother, before Cain goes out into the field and takes the life of Abel, God comes to Cain, and in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, if you do well, will not your countenance, your face, will it not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. You must master it, Cain. Part of the reason God has us in this real world living real lives is to learn to come to Him. When he says you must master it by the way, we learn this after studying all the way through the pages of the Bible that mastering sin is something we can't do on our own. It is only something we can do by the power of God. I am trying to help my son Hayden understand this principle. There are things you can't do, son, unless you ask dad for help. Yesterday I go into the post office. Corey and Hayden were in the car. I said, I'll be right back. Just a minute. You know, it was 100 degrees. I don't know how hot it was here. But it was hot for an anacortis day. And they're in the car. And I say, leave the windows up. No, I, they rolled them down. And I go in the post office. Five minutes. I'm in there five minutes. I come back. Hayden's in the back seat. And he's pounding. And he's screaming. And crying. And he's just throwing a complete temper tantrum. And Corey's in the front seat just ducking, you know, dodging so that he's not going to get hit. Because he wanted to get out of the car and come find me because he broke his little stuffed animal guy. And he was just freaking out. Tears just pouring and I said, Hayden, first of all, you're grounded. No, I didn't. Well, actually, I did because I was just a little hot and tired and frustrated and didn't want to deal with him. And I said, okay, I take back the grounding. But you got to learn something here, son. All you had to do was wait till Dad came back to the car and say, Dad, this broke. Can you fix it? And I would fix it. I'll make it right. Same thing this morning. He gets up and he cannot get his pants on. 
down halfway up and he's doing this and he's crying at the same time and I go, Hayden. Now part of the reason he's freaking out is mom was out of town the last two days and dad just doesn't cut it. He needs that feminine touch. But he's trying to get him on. I'm like, just wait, hang on. First of all, let's unbutton the pants. <laughs> Unzip them. See how easily they slide up and down. <laughs> Ask your father for help. The real deal, folks, is the choice is ours, but real people make real messes and really need God's help to master this thing called sin. The second thing that is a foundational truth that we'll see in this chapter, not only is God's word real, filled with real people, but man's work, man's work is reprehensible. Now I struggled with that word for a moment because I thought, well, that's a little harsh. That kind of makes us feel bad about the things we're doing. You know, but we all are like Hayden. We have our pants about halfway up. <laughs> and it's <laughs> shameful. It's reprehensible. That word, man, it just means blameworthy. And we are. Our work is blameworthy. Regardless of the intentions of Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, all of them had certain intentions in what they did, but all of them were blameworthy. All of them were guilty. All of them messed up. Romans 7.18 tells us, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing, oh, the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. Now, we almost finished chapter 26 last week. I don't know if you noticed we stopped a couple of verses early. I want to go back and pick up those verses as we roll on tonight. But I want you to see how, a beautiful example of how man's work is reprehensible. In chapter 26, verse 34, we're told that when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Well, here goes Esau. Our New Testament commentary on the person of Esau re reveals his reputation. His reputation, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, tells us Esau was considered immoral and godless. That's his reputation through all history. This is the legacy Esau leaves behind, an immoral and godless man. And if you've ever felt sorry for Esau that his younger brother ripped him off of the birthright and took off with it, if you ever feel like that's not a real fair story, understand something here. Esau is not blameless. He got a bowl of beans and he made some very poor decisions. And we begin to see it play out right here. As, as a 40-year-old, he goes out and he marries two women, two. Now, it's interesting, there's no commentary yet on polygamy. God doesn't deal with that yet. He's just trying to get people to believe in him at this point. You know, It's going to be a while before he starts to lay in some foundational rules and laws and structures so that people can understand how to live. Right now he's just saying, look, just believe. Just believe in me. But for now, Esau goes out and marries two women and brings grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Why? Because they're Hittite women. They're pagans. And they're causing problems. And they will continue to cause problems. In fact, at the end of the next chapter, Rebekah will say the same thing. She'll say these daughters of Heth, oh, I, I, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. I mean, she's about ready to take her own life. She's so sick and tired of her daughters-in-law. But why does Esau go and do this? Well, Esau, Esau, he's immoral and godless, or as the King James Version says, he's profane and a fornicator. The word profane is babelos, and it means, as we said last week, it means actually on the threshold or across the threshold of the temple. Meaning he's outside of the temple. That makes sense. Things profane don't want to go where the spirit is. Things profane stay on the outside of the temple, stay out away from God. Profane things don't want to be there. And so that's a picture of Esau. He's profane. He's also a fornicator. That's the word pornos, meaning sexually immoral. That's where we get our word pornography. That's our Esau. You need to understand this man before we go any further. He is a man of the flesh. He likes the earth. He's a hunter, a gainsman. He, he, he is, well, put it this way, whatever he saw, he wanted, okay? That maybe helps you understand the lusty attitude, thank you, of Esau. He's earthy, he's selfish, he's profane. 
And it doesn't matter, even if his own parents are against it, man, if he wants it, he's going to go get it. He's like the Ted Nugent of his time. I don't know how many of you remember Ted Nugent from the 70s. The rock and roll god with a little G. Had that big, massive guitar. Now, I was a big Ted Nugent fan. Most adolescent boys were in those days. Because he just came out of there a wild animal. He would go on stage wearing nothing but a loincloth, had a guitar, an electric guitar that was just huge. His hair was just out of control, wild. He would drool, he just, and come, he would swing in on vines. He would kick the, the speakers over, he'd stand on top of the speaker, and he'd just scream while he did these solos. And then he'd be doing these solos so fast, you know, he's going like this, and, and his mouth's open, his hair's flying everywhere. And, and as an adolescent, you know, 13, 14 year old, I was going, yeah, that's awesome. Cat scratch fever, yeah, that's music. My taste has changed a little since then. But that's a good picture of Esau. Esau, if he had electric guitar, would be on stage with Ted Nugent in the 70s. Just doing his thing. Ted Nugent now, by the way, is a huge sportsman, gamesman, hunterman, hunterman, <laughs> fisherman, hunter. This is what he loves to do. He's also a conservative talk show host, and I'm not sure how that works. but Something to notice here, though, before we go on, and it's kind of a sign that someone is heading out to pasture, like Esau, it said he could give a rip what his parents thought. Now guys, front row guys, I know this is hard to swallow sometimes. But I'll tell you as a parent myself, a young parent trying to figure the whole thing out, you have no idea how much your parents' hearts beat for you. All teenagers, all children have no clue how much their parents think about, worry about, struggle over them. The, the hours that we spend thinking, do we do the right thing? Is that the wrong thing? You know, should I just let Hayden go to school with his pants halfway down? You know, and these things. I mean, we, we, we process and worry and think about all this stuff. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And until I was a parent, that verse just kind of was one that I, you know, okay. obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, Paul is now quoting, which is the first commandment with a promise. Oh, there's a promise attached. Really? What's the promise? Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You see, our parents do know a thing or two that we don't know. My parents to this day are confidants of mine, people that I call when I'm not sure which way to go. Dad, I just need some advice. Dad, we're building this house. I'm not sure what kind of a loan to get. What do you think? Why? Because he's been around the block a few times. He knows what's going on. He has some insight that I don't have. Well, Esau shows us a sign of his profanity in that he could give a rip. He could care less. Even though these women he chose were a grief to his own father and mother, it's what he wanted. It's what he wanted. Well, God's word is real. Man's work is reprehensible. We haven't even gotten into 27. But number three, God's will is resolute. God's will is resolute. You're going to see all three of these things. The realness of God's word, the reprehensible nature of man's work, and how resolute God's will is. His sovereign will, his desire. No matter how well we handle things, no matter how good or bad we do, God's will finds its way through. In spite of us. It's amazing. It's what he does it marches on, even when we do all the wrong things, seemingly for the right reasons, God affects his perfect will. People read the story of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau. And they see Jacob, Jacob's deception of his father Isaac. And they say, well, how could God allow that to happen? Why did he bless Jacob for deceiving? He didn't bless Jacob for deceiving. He blessed Jacob because it was his will. The deceiving was still wrong. And you're going to see that, and it comes back around to Jacob later on in his life. God's will is an awesome, awesome thing that moves above and beyond us, and amazingly, through us as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you've heard the verse, We know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Genesis 27, verse 1. Here we go. Now it came about, when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. 
And Isaac said, Behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now, take your gear, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. I want you to clear your minds of how you see this story, because if you're anything like me, you have seen it wrong. As I sat down to study it this week, I was shocked at what I discovered. Because the way I've always seen the story is the old man on his deathbed. Son, son, come here. Blind, failing, right about to die. And in comes his young, strapping lad of a son. Here, Dad, 17, 18, 19 years old. Well, let me give you some reality checks. Number one, the lifespan of the old man. Isaac at this point is 137 years old. He is going blind. He is weak. He is feeble. But he also is going to live another 43 years after this. We don't always know when God's done with our lives. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Dale Irwin who said, If God is still working out His will in your life, you are invincible. However, if He's through working out His will for your life, a hangnail will kill you. (laughs) I mean, it's that easy. You're invincible until God is through. We have no idea what the longevity is of our lives, how long God has a plan for us. And yet states like Oregon say, well, but if someone's old and feeble, or or if someone's cancerous and dying, it's all right to have a physician help them take their life. I'm sorry, but that's not what God would say. If Isaac had felt that way, 43 years would have been lost, robbed. If my grandmother had felt that way, my entire adolescent life would have lost an incredibly, incredibly influential counselor. Some of you have heard me mention her before. She found out that she had a tumor in her spinal cord, inoperable cancer, and within a year of finding out, she went completely paralyzed from the neck down. And at that point, in the hospital, the doctors told her, if you live through the night, it will be a miracle. And she lived 16 years after that. Every Friday night, my family and I would pile into the family car and we would drive the 45 minutes from Mission Viejo, California up to Long Beach, California to visit my grandmother laying in her bed all the way through until I was a freshman in high school. Now, you'd think for a junior high kid, that kind of a Friday night would not be the biggest fun, you know. I'm going to go see my lame grandma. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a hoot. She was. She was a blast. And I learned so much from her, especially about the Lord, that I wouldn't have learned if, if she had... You know, been taken out early. Reality check number two. First one is the lifespan of the old man. It's much longer than we think. Second one is that the young men in the story ain't so young. At this point, Jacob and Esau, the fighting fraternal twins, are 77 years old. They're not these strapping young men. They're still home. Can you imagine that? Jake, um... Just wondering. You gonna get a wife? You gonna do something with yourself? You're 77, man. Move out. Harry and Heelcatcher could have been drawing Social Security for a dozen years by now. They're still home, so they're not that young. And reality check number three. Number three. You gotta see this. It's the basis of the blessing. Look back at verse 4. Prepare a savory dish for me, Isaac says, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. So if he didn't make the dinner, he wouldn't get the blessing? Folks, the the basis of the blessing here for Isaac is meat. It's flesh. It's earthly stuff. There is nothing spiritual in Isaac's desire to bless his son Esau at this point. Go hunt for me. Make the food I like. Bring it in. I'll eat it. And then I'll give you a blessing, he says. Folks, I don't know if you remember this. We talked about this a while ago. But whenever the flesh is the basis of a blessing, whenever it's about making the flesh happy or pleasing the flesh, all you're going to end up with is rotten meat. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and we talk about the deeds of the flesh, this has been a while ago now, but we talked about the fact that if you plant fruit seeds, what do you get? You get fruit. But if you plant a big, juicy porterhouse steak, what do you get? Rotten steak. 
maggots. You don't get anything good. Nobody plants meat. Nobody plants the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 26 talks about the whole thing. The deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Isaac right now, son of Abraham, the meek, gentle man, well, he's a little flesh-focused right now. His interest is not on spiritual things. Well, how do you really know that? Well, look back at Genesis chapter 25, verse 28. Verse 28 of 25 says, Now Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because he had a taste for game. Rebecca just loved Jacob. No reason whatsoever. Last week we talked about that. It's a picture of God's unconditional love. Man's conditional love is we love because God loves just because, for no reason. We love because someone does something, fulfills some need, pleasures the flesh, possibly. And that's the problem that Isaac has, is he loves his son, loves his son Esau, because Esau brings him tasty vittles. And that's what he wants from Esau right now. Isaac has forgotten both the blessing of his own heritage, but he's also forgotten the blessing of his offspring. What do you mean by that? Look back at Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, this is God speaking to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This was prophetic. This, by the way, is the will of God, the choice, the divine election of God. You see, as you walk through the lineage of Jesus, it's very interesting the names that get stuck in there. The people that God chose by His choice to weave the seed all the way to the point that Jesus comes into the world. Not the way we would do it. In our religious stuffed shirt way of doing things, we would look for the most solid group of people we could find. The best examples out there. And we would bring the seed of Messiah through that, but not the Lord. There's a deceiver in there. There's a harlot in there. There's a murderer in there. Why? Because it's not by the work of man that Jesus comes to the world. It's by the work of God. It's by the grace of God. So Isaac here should have sought to bless Jacob. Think about this. Rebecca hears this. And unless she's held on to this prophecy, kept it to herself for 77 years, chances are very good that Isaac heard this too. Chances are very good that Rebecca heard from God that the older shall serve the younger, and she told her husband Isaac, and what do you do with that? What does that indicate to you? But Isaac says, no, I like Esau. And besides, he is my firstborn. He's the one. I want to bless him. But the blessing was supposed to be about God's will. The blessing early on for the younger son, for the family, for the lineage, for the world was much bigger than who do you like. In fact, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let me just read this to you. We know the beginning of the blessing as God said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of earth will be blessed. Abraham through your seed. All the families of the earth. God's intention here. God's idea. Gang, the story is not just about a father blessing a son. It's about the father's son who is the blessing. It's about Jesus. And God's plan from the beginning, he knew exactly where the, the seed would weave. He knew where it would go until finally Jesus was born. He had a divine plan. He had a choice. He let Rebecca know about that. I don't know if Rebecca let Isaac know. If she didn't, she should have. And if she did... He should have known not to bless Esau, but instead to choose Jacob, who God had chosen. Now, where is Rebekah in all of this? Well, let's read on. Verse 5. Genesis 27, verse 5. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Okay, mommy. <laughs> He's 77 years old here. 
Okay, mommy's calling the shots. There's some dysfunction here, I think. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Verse 10, then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Now Rebecca jumps into the fray. She knew God's word concerning her children. She knew it. She heard it directly from God herself. But she determines to help God out a bit. Oh no. Wait a minute. God said the older shall serve the younger. And Esau is about to get blessed. This is messed up. Oh no. God's will is going to be thwarted. I've got to step in and help God. You ever do that? I'm not really sure that the Lord of all creation, God of everything, knows what he's doing. So I better help. With my vast experience and knowledge, I better step in here. And that's what she's doing. She knows God's word. She wants to do God's work. But she's not doing it God's way. She's improvising here. She's cooking up trouble. In the form of a couple of goats. Prepared just like Esau would prepare it. How often do we, even with sincerity of heart, do the same thing? We seek to do things of the Lord, but ending up, end up doing them our way instead of His way. You say, well, I know what God's plan is, but this is an easier route. Man, if Jesus had done that, it would have spelled trouble. Do you realize in the temptations of Jesus, every single thing that Satan offered him were things that he would ultimately receive? But Satan offered them early on without the cross. Oh, you could, you could own the whole world, Jesus. If you just, you know... Bow down here. See all this stuff? God's angels will protect you, Jesus, if you just jump off the temple and show your might and power. Show it right now so that everyone can believe in you. And you don't have to go through all that pain and suffering of the cross. That was the shortcut. That, the ultimate end was laid out there for Jesus. This is the goal, isn't it? For you to be king of all the earth? For everyone to see your glory? Isn't that the idea here? But the shortcut wasn't God's plan. It was Satan's plan. I think also of Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, which I can't wait till we get to Exodus. It's going to be a little while, but we'll get there. Exodus chapter 2, Moses, think about this, grew up in Egypt. And he watched his own people. He was raised somewhat by his own mom in the, in the area there. He knew what was going on, and he saw the injustice to the Hebrews, his own people. And so one night, he decides to take matters in his own hand. He's going to rescue his people. As he watches an Egyptian beating a Hebrew in Exodus chapter 2, he steps in and kills the Egyptian and rescues the Hebrew. He was so into rescuing his people that he didn't pay attention to God's plan for rescuing his people. And so he messed it all up and Moses spent the next 40 years in Midian learning the lesson. I'm fully convinced in my mind that God took him away for 40 years to cool him off, to humble him, and to help him to realize that nothing in God's will is done without God's will. He's sovereign. He's the Lord, not us. Well, Rebecca knows the word, and she begins the work, but she misses the way. Verse 11. Verse 11. Jacob answered his mother, Rebecca... And he said, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. Remember, Esau means hairy. And I am a smooth man. <laughs> I like that. It's like Esau is Alaska. And Jacob is San Francisco. You know? Esau is hairy. And Jacob is like a grape. You know, I mean, he's just smooth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go any further with that. Because, because there's no indication in the Bible of anything like what you're thinking right now. Verse 12, perhaps my father, Jacob says, will, will feel me and then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. But why? Because Esau was hairy. Well, if he touches my arm, he's going to feel smooth as a grape. As opposed to rough and hairy. He's going to know. I love this. Verse 12, he says, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. He doesn't say I will be a deceiver. He said, I'll be like a deceiver. No, Jacob, you will be a deceiver. You're not going to be like a deceiver. You are. If you act on this, you're a deceiver. And his big concern is I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. <laughs> but his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. 
Jacob's not concerned about being a deceiver. He's just concerned about looking like a deceiver. And, and he's missing something here. He's confusing reputation with character. The reputation, that's who people think I am. And sometimes they're right and oftentimes they're wrong. Character is who I am. It's who I am when no one's looking, when no one's around, and it's just me out there doing my thing. Well, that's character. Reputation is what other people see. And sometimes I can pull off a trick. Sometimes I can get people to think highly of me because I act certain ways in a crowd. But when I'm by myself, <laughs> different guy. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, inconsistent. Just using myself as an example rather than one of you and embarrassing you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. <laughs> says, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. See, that's the thing with character. Character is lifelong. Someone may be able to change reputation as they walk down the road a ways, but ultimately they're going to be found out for who they are because character, character reveals you over time. And there is no real pretense. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. What a horrible story. This couple who sell a house, sell property, and they come to Peter and the apostles and they say, oh, we sold this property and we made all this money and it's the churches. Here you go. They were concerned about reputation because what happened was they didn't give all the money to the church. They gave some of the money to the church and they kept back some of it for themselves. And they both dropped dead in front of Peter because of it. Not because they held back the money. Peter said, hey, it was your money to do with as you pleased. But you're going to deceive the Lord? You're lying directly to the Holy Spirit and the people of God here by saying, oh, we gave God. They were concerned about reputation. Character didn't matter to them. They had a huge integrity issue. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3 says, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Reputation will not last you, but character will. Verse 15. Then Rebecca, look at how intricate her plan is. This is amazing. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. <laughs> She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son, Jacob. I mean, she's getting into this deception. To make some meat like Esau and some clothes so you smell like Esau and hairy skin so that you feel like Esau so that when Jacob comes in before Isaac, old blind Isaac will think Esau is oldest son. He, Esau is oldest son. Okay. <laughs> Rebecca's clever. Apparently Pastor Rick is not. Verse 18. Then, ow, then he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Get up, please sit, and eat of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, uh, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen for me. Hmm. You ever heard that one before? Well, this is what the Lord told me to do. Well, this is what the Lord says. The Lord has spoken. This is why this ministry is about the Lord. We all love to give credit to the Lord. The problem is when we're giving credit to the Lord and it is not of the Lord. When we give credit to God and it has nothing to do with Him. Let me encourage you anytime someone says that the Lord told them to do something. I know I say this over and over, but test it against the Word. Is this something that the Lord would want them to do? Now I've told you before, I believe the Lord told me to start this church. I can't prove it to you. I have no way of proving it to you. I believe it, but ask yourself this. Is it the heart and the desire of the Lord to grow His kingdom? Absolutely. The Lord, your God. It's also interesting that Jacob calls God the Lord, your God. Not the Lord, my God. After 77 years, Isaac has not claimed ownership of a relationship with the Lord yet. It'll happen. 
But it's going to take some training. It's going to take some time. The Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to his father, and he felt him, and he said, listen to this, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So, he blessed him. This is interesting to me. Isaac was deceived because he trusted his senses. And they fooled him. They got away with it. He heard the voice of his son. But he smelled the smell of Esau because of the clothes. He tasted the meat of Esau, which was just like Esau makes it. And he felt the arms which were hairy... Well, that's all Esau, but the voice, the voice is Jacob's voice. Listen, what Isaac felt was not the truth. What he felt, what his feelings told him was not true. But there was one thing that didn't fail Isaac. It was the one thing that was true. The word that he heard. When he heard Jacob speak, the voice, he recognized, he heard the voice. That did not trick him. His senses were not wrong there. And again, the question is, does it ring true with the word? Does what someone's teaching, what someone's saying, what you're thinking or feeling that you're supposed to do, does it jive with the word that you have heard? Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says, you know, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I am working on beautiful feet. That's what I'm shooting for in this world. And I think it's a call to all believers to have good-looking feet. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who share the word, who give the word. Listen, verse 16 of Romans 10. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, Paul says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. The one thing that Isaac, or that, yeah, Isaac should have trusted was what he heard. The word that he heard. But he followed his feelings and he was deceived. And if we follow our feelings in this world, we will be deceived. Because the feelings that we have are some of the most deceitful things in the world. Times when we're angry, and we're not really sure why, but we act on it. Times when we feel hurt because someone did or said something, and turns out they didn't do or say any of it. But our feelings mess us up. Don't let feelings drive your life. Let it be the word that you have heard. It may feel like God. It may smell like God. It may taste like God. It may even seem to be completely of God. But does it sound like the word that you have heard? Gang, flip in your Bibles real quickly to Matthew 24. I know we've been spending some time there on Sunday mornings. But we need to understand, again, back to the word, worldwide deceptions in our generation, in our lifetime, worldwide deceptions are intensifying. It is getting more and more difficult to hear the truth, to see the truth. More and more people are being deceived. Several of us guys were talking before tonight, just out there, talking about the war that's going on and everything. And isn't it amazing that they have found sarin and mustard gas? They found it. They found some. Traces, indications that it is present in Iraq. Is it being talked about on the news? It's like back page news. Now, a year ago, people would have been going, See, see right here, yeah, we, we found it, yeah, weapons of mass destruction. Now it's like, oh no, we're not really sure. If, if, you, know, you know, I mean, yeah, it's Sarah, I'm sure, but it, it's, it's not news. Right now, news is the, the scandal, the prisoner abuse scandal. That's news. Yeah, because we can flash pictures, scandalous pictures up on the screen to get more viewers. That's, that's news, and it's deceitful. And Jesus says the following, Matthew 24, 23, About our age, folks, then if anyone says to you, Behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, Jesus says, Do not believe him. Do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. 
Behold, I have told you in advance. So that if they say to you, Behold, he's out in the wilderness, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. And then Jesus says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now think about that last statement. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes even in the west, that's how the coming of the Son of Man will be. What does that tell you about the coming of the Son of Man? When I was in college in Texas, we used to watch the lightning come across the plain. But you know what we had before the storm arrived? Warning. Signs. Wonders in the sky. We could sit there outside. In fact, one night I remember so vividly going to Baskin Robbins ice cream with Cheryl. And it was a beautiful, clear blue sky. And we went inside and we heard some thunder rolling off on the horizon way, way out in the distance. Went inside, got our ice cream. Fifteen minutes later, we walked outside and we could see the lightning flashing and the rain coming. And within an hour, it was a complete deluge. But we saw it coming. That's what lightning does. You know, you ever do the trick with your, with your kids or with friends and family where you see the lightning flash and you count? Okay, it's five miles away. Well, it's not a trick. It's real. It works. Yeah. Trick. Thanks for jumping in, Russ. But that's how the coming of the Son of Man will be. We shouldn't be surprised. No, we're not going to know the day or the hour, but we should know the seasons. We should be aware. And Jesus says one of the signs of the times is deceit. Worldwide deceit. And I ask you, is there deceit worldwide going on in the generation in which we live? Well, there will be signs of the times, but we'll get back to that on Sunday morning. Let's get back to chapter 27. Verse 24, reading on. He said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. And so Isaac said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless him. And he brought it to him, and he ate, and he also brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. Verse 27. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, oh, the smell of my son. Now he has his son's savory meat in his body now and he's got a couple of glasses of wine down in as well see the smell of my son it's like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine may people serve you and nations bow down to you be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you curse be those who curse you and bless be those who bless you now how it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Where am I? 31, thank you. Then also, <laughs> he made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to him, uh, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. Folks, Isaac was jarred to the truth. But a greater truth than you may think. Let's read on. He trembled violently and he said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it all before you came and blessed him? And then Isaac says, Yes. Yes. Isaac's cluing in. Yes, and he shall be blessed. He realizes something here. In verse 33, something clips. Not only does he realize he was deceived, but he realized he gave the blessing to the right son. Yes. And he will be blessed. The older will serve the younger. Isaac's going to even get it more. But read on verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Now, the mournful cry of Esau here, there is no stronger language in the Hebrew for a bitter wail than what is written right here. I mean, it was guttural. Ah, no! No! How can this be? Verse 36, And then he said, 
Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Well, actually, he gave it away. You despised it. But we forget. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master. And all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you, what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And here we see Jacob's full name being borne out. It means heel catcher, but what happens when someone catches your heel? They trip you up. I was running track in high school. Never forget this day. Coming around the last turn. It was a 440. Now it's the 400 meter. I'm dating myself a bit. But I was running that single lap race. The Ironman race. You, full, you run it full bore, full intensity, all the way around the lap. It's a killer race. And as I'm coming around the last turn, I was in the number one lane. And a guy came up in the number two lane from Dana Point High School, rivals, and he spiked me. Now, you run track with spikes in the tips of your shoes, and he ran, and in cutting me off, literally gashed my leg. I'm, I'm bleeding now. And knocked me off the track. It's like right out of chariots of fire. <sighs> and I get up, and I start running, and I lost. I didn't pass him. Eric Little, I am not. He spiked me. He tripped me up. And I was so mad. And they just actually disqualified him. And I won. But it was like, not really. Because I was like second. Fourth or fifth. I don't remember. But it was not good. Folks. Heel catcher has caught Esau by the heel. And now he's tripped him up. And that's where we get that word supplant. To supplant someone is to trip them up. To grab a hold and trip them. And run by them as fast as you can. And take their place. That's exactly what Jacob has done here. Esau is saying, heel catcher has tripped me up and passed me by. He supplanted me. And so now, the word in Hebrew, Yaakov, means supplanter. So as we saw last week, Esau could care less for the birthright, but here he wails desperately for the blessing. Ah, you can have the birthright. Just give me the beans. <laughs> give me the stew. That's all I really want. I'm hungry. What do I need a birthright for? <clears throat> Big deal. He despises his birthright, but now he wails over the loss of of the blessing. Why? Why is the blessing so important? Orthodox Jews today still understand and still give a blessing to their children. Our culture, however, has forgotten how to bless our children. We have become blind, blind as Isaac, to the value of a true blessing. I don't know if you were watching last night. Um, James Dobson was on Fox News on Hannity and Combs and he was interviewed and he just did a great job it was, so, it was so cool to listen to him talk speaking not only as a Christian but as a clinical psychologist and a counselor and they were talking about the whole issue of the gay marriages which are now legalized in Massachusetts and are happening at a very rapid rate and he was very concerned and he said citing Denmark he said we already know the devastation that this will cause, cause among our families we already have a case study in a country that has legalized homosexual unions and marriage. We have a case study for this. Teenage pregnancies are huge there. Sexual confusion, broken homes, and he went on and on and discussed several issues, problems that are come directly out of that decision in the Netherlands. And he said all the scientific research points to one man, one woman, in one home as the ideal for raising children. Now folks, we've lost sight of the real blessing in our culture. Our kids, however, haven't. Our kids, like Esau, still crave the blessing. They still want the blessing. They still need the blessing. We just don't give it to them. And when I say we, I'm not just talking about broken homes. I'm talking about across the board. If I had a dime for every time a Christian couple, man, woman, family, came to me and said, we need help with our son. Can you tell us what to do? And the son is 19 years old, or 20, or 17. What can you do? Can you meet with our son and help him to become a believer? And I think to myself, I'll try. 
But you know what your son needs? He needs you to jump in a time capsule and go back about 17 years. Start over. I love that the children are in here. I love that Leticia sits here quietly every Wednesday night and listens to everything that's being said. Because she's getting the blessing. The children are getting the blessing. And our kids in our culture, they're missing this. When, when couples come to me like that, again, Christian couples, and say, we don't know what to do with our son. My first thought is, when was the last time you just brought him to church? Oh, well, you know, he, he's got, you know, stuff going on. He likes to sleep in. So we'll try and bring him up. I don't get it. I don't understand that. The blessing. Get them into the Word. Again, the front row guys. I love this because they're here. You're here. You need it the most. They need it the most. Okay. Not you. <laughs> and it's not about church attendance. But for crying out loud, how simple is that? At least get them where the Word is being taught. Give them the blessing. What is the real blessing? Listen, the patriarchal blessing had two basic components to it. Very simple. Number one, a proclamation from the father to the son to the child of who they are. A proclamation. Here's who you are. And the second part is a declaration, or no, I'm sorry, a revelation of where they're headed. Here's who you are, my son, my daughter. You are a child of God. God loves you. He created you to be in fellowship with Him. That's who you are. Now the revelation is even better. Where you're going is home to be with Him. How many of our kids get that from us as parents? Parents, let me ask you, whose responsibility is it to tell your kids who they are? The schools? <laughs> They're not going to tell them. You know what the schools are going to tell your kids? The schools are going to say, let them figure it out for themselves. Let them search within themselves to find the answer. Have you ever seen a kid trying to find the answer? Hayden can't even get up his pants. <laughs> Much less figure out who he is. The blessing. A proclamation of who they are and a revelation of where they are headed. And parents, let me ask you this. Whose responsibility is it to tell your kids where they're going? Are you going to leave that up to the church? I mean, hopefully, whatever church we're involved with is going to teach where we're going. Many don't. Are you going to leave it up to someone else to swing in at age 17, 18, 19 and suddenly tell them where they're supposed to go? Listen to this. There was a study done a few years back, 1998, by Mark Karoff, who was a professor at UC Santa Barbara. And at this school... They did this study with a thousand young people regarding vulnerability to cults and they came up with three things that cults offered that drew young people into them. Three things. Attention, affection, and affirmation. You want to get a kid involved in a cult? You want to draw a kid on the streets of L.A. into a gang? What are kids looking for? Affection, attention, affirmation. Give them these things. Why does that work? How do they get drawn into these cults? Because they're not getting it at home. Because mom and dad have advocated that responsibility. I've said this before. It used to be kind of a triad. We had the school where the Bible was taught and prayer was allowed. We had the church where, of course, the Bible was taught and worship happened and fellowship and strength and support. And we had the family. And with these three things together, you could, you could guarantee a pretty solid upbringing. We no longer have the schools. Families are a mess. And the church, the church oftentimes isn't even teaching God's word. We live in times of worldwide deception. And our kids need the patriarchal blessing. And folks, when it doesn't come from us, understand this. Parents especially, when it doesn't come from us, it will come from somewhere. They're going to get the blessing from somewhere. Wouldn't you rather it be from you? Tell me who I am, our kids say. Tell me where I'm going. Give me a sense of myself, my purpose, my direction in this life. And Jesus did that very thing. Matthew 16, very quickly, Jesus with his disciples loved them like they were little kids taught them carefully, nurtured them, motivated them, grew them over three years 
until they fell flat on their faces and then he loved them some more and continued to work with them and grow them. Listen to what he said, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Why, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Because guys, ultimately, who we are depends on who we say Christ is. Because that's where our real identity is. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that is Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I also say to you that you are Peter. Here's who you are. You want to know who you are, Pete? Simon? Simon doesn't work for you. Peter, you're a little rock. Little rock, but you're still a rock. This is who you are. And upon this rock, the big rock, the rock of faith, the rock of Peter's statement of faith, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So he tells them who they are. But now he goes on and he tells them where they're going. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What? We're going to have keys to heaven? Yeah, that's where you're going, Peter. You're a rock. That's who you are. And where you're going is heaven, man. Trust that. Believe in it. Luke chapter 24. Flip over there very quickly. Luke 24. In verse 44. Jesus is about to ascend here. And it tells us that he said to them, Luke 24, 44, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh man, that must have been awesome. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You... You are witnesses. That's who you are. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Where are you going? Hey guys, you're going to be sent out. Who you are is witnesses. What are you going to do? You're going to witness who you are, where you're going. Who are we telling our kids they are? Where are we taking them? Some of you who don't have kids are going, what does this have to do with me? (laughs) Let me ask you this. Are you imparting the blessing of Christ in your life to anybody? To anyone? Whether they're to your children or to your friends or to your family members, are you imparting the blessing of Christ? And who are you imparting it to? God's word is amazingly cohesive here. For the same blessing of Christ that we pass on to our children or our family or our friends, that same exact blessing, gang, that blessing, I lost my place. (laughs) Don't you want to really build up to something and then it's just gone. Where was I? That blessing, it's really good too. I was kind of impressed with it earlier. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. No, that really is good. (laughs) The same blessing that we pass on to our kids' gang is the blessing of Abraham. And it's the blessing of Isaac and the blessing of Jacob. What do you mean by that? I mean, their blessing is your blessing. And what was their blessing? That the entire world would be touched through them, through their seed. Which seed? Jesus. The blessing that I impart to anybody, whether they're family members or not, that blessing is the blessing of Christ. And that was the same blessing that Abraham passed on to Isaac and that Isaac was supposed to pass on to Jacob, tried to pass on to Esau, but though deceived, still passed it on to Jacob. God's will was done in spite of all the mess that's going on here. And Isaac can't help himself from blessing the chosen carrying of God's chosen seed. He can't help it. He sits there and he says, yes, and going back to the text, yes, and he will be blessed. Yes, yes, that was right. I should have blessed him. Jacob will be blessed. It's interesting here that that Esau says, don't you have a blessing for me? 
That's a great question. How hard would it have been for Isaac to retract the blessing? Okay, wait, get Jacob back in here. <laughs> Coach Kim, that was funny. That's not going to work. The blessing is now removed. Esau, this is the blessing. It was. He could have done that. Why not? Esau was still the firstborn. Isaac was still, you know, lord of the castle. Feeble though he was, he was still the man of the house. He could have done that. Why didn't he? Because Isaac finally understands the resolve of God's will. Because I believe in this instant, he locks into God's sovereignty and he goes, of course. Yeah, I was deceived, but I shouldn't have had to have been deceived. I should have known. God's will, not my will. The Bible says that Isaac trembled violently in verse 33. He was jarred, shaken into a clear understanding that God's will cannot and will not be thwarted. So as Esau cries out, Don't you have a blessing for me? Isaac says, hmm, verse 39, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven above. You're going to live in dry, arid desert places. That's a nice blessing. And by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. You got it. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. And the Edomites, the people of Edom, read Esau, the Edomites would fight and be in conflict with Israel for generations after this. And they would be supplanted by Israel for generations after this. They would truly serve them. And they would be bitter toward Israel for generations after this. All the way to the point, as we said last week, when Moses was leading the people into the promised land. And he comes to Kiriath-Joram. At this place, he wants to cross through Edomite country. And they say, forget it. Turn back. You step one foot on our land and we will take you by the sword. That's a long, long road of bitterness. Now, there's a reason. Hang with me just a couple more minutes. But there's a reason I mentioned before that Esau was 77 years old. That he was an old man. And it's not in the numbers 7 here. It's simply that by the time the blessing came around, Esau's long lifetime of immorality caught up with him. He had lived out a pattern here. There is a reason God chose Jacob and not Esau. And it wasn't because Jacob was such a much better guy. But the reality is, as you read Jacob's story, for all of his mistakes, as you'll see over the weeks, he still was about spiritual things. He still wanted, he wanted that place of firstborn. He wanted the blessing. He wanted the birthright. Not so he could be a, a, a healthy man, a rich, wealthy man. It was so that he could be in that place. He wanted to go the direction God wanted him to go. And he messes it up over and over and over in his life. But he still was about the spiritual things. Esau was not. Esau could care less about the spiritual he did, in spite of being born in one of the most privileged families in history, he could have been firstborn in the line of Jesus. But he would rather live a baked bean life about the flesh and meat and stuff. He despised his birthright and he ended up with nothing. And I wonder how many times do we see this in our Christian families today? Kids were raised going to church. Raised, coming to church, being involved, privileged with that blessing, and then taken off, saying, I don't need that. Rebelling against the upbringing of Christ for a bowl of beans, which is really what the world can give you. We all know what beans ultimately produce. That's what the world ultimately has to offer you. And I'm, I mean, I'm not just trying to be funny. It's hot air, gang. It's nothing worth having. When it's all said and done, it's all going to go away. Hopefully with a good wind, just gone. That's what the world has to offer you. you know, that's what you want. Or you can have the birthright that God promises. Why does this happen in, in churches? Because, folks, the church is not the giver of the blessing. You are. You are. You are the giver of the blessing. Now, you may say to me, okay, but our home's different. We don't have a dad in the home. We, we, we don't have even parents. Maybe the grandparents are, are raising a child. Then listen to me on this. 
If dad's not there to give the blessing, mom, you get it. You get it. If mom's not there to give the blessing or the parents have completely abdicated it, grandparents, and we have a few of you in here, you give the blessing. Give them the blessing. If their own parents aren't going to do it, for God's sake, you do it. Tell them who they are. And tell them where they are going. Folks, the only key to preventing the rebelliousness of an Esau-like heart in children today is Ephesians 6.4. Paul says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You do it. Give them the blessing. Don't just believe it. Bless them with it. Last thought. There's only one person in this entire story who legitimately comes around to a complete surrender of God's will. Rebecca doesn't do it. She wants to do God's will, but she deceives along the way. Jacob hasn't gotten there yet. He will, but not yet. He's going to have to be deceived himself a bit before he figures it out. Esau? No. Esau is just bitter, bearing a grudge. We're going to talk about that next week. He just wants to kill his brother. But one character got it, and that's Isaac. He figured it out. It clicked. It connected for him. This meek man of faith, though swayed by the flesh for a time, comes back to accepting God's sovereign will. How do you really know that, Rick? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith. Well, I thought it was an accident. I thought he was deceived. Skip real quickly to Genesis 28 and look at verse 3. This is now after the fact. And Isaac calls Jacob in and listen to what he says to him. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May He also give you, and now He extends the original blessing, may He give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Now remember, Esau said, Isn't there another blessing for me? There is no more blessing for you. Except that now, Isaac does come up with an extra blessing. The blessing he got from Abraham. The blessing Abraham got from God. And now he hands that over to Jacob. He gets it. He gets it. May this blessing, folks, be our blessing tonight. 